Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Backhealed Show. My name is Joe Lowry, and on this episode, we're diving into some takeaways from the USMNT's 3-1 loss to Germany. That game was over the weekend. Now, over on Backhealed.com, we'll have full takeaways from this October window that will encapsulate the Germany game and the game on Tuesday night. That's tonight as I'm recording against Ghana. So keep your eyes out for that over on Backheel.com. But for now, let's talk about the Germany game. We'll get into a handful of takeaways from that match, and we'll do it all in 10 minutes or less, because here on the Backheel Show, we believe that just because soccer games are 90 minutes long doesn't mean that soccer podcasts have to be. So let's get to it and talk USMNT. folks, right out of the gate, let's talk about the highest profile addition to the USMNT program in quite some time, Forlorn Balogun, who started up top and played 66 minutes for the US against Germany, playing, of course, as that number nine, still not getting on the ball a ton. Greg Baralter's talked about it several times now. I think you, know, you could see some of Balogun's frustration in this match against Germany. He has 17 touches in 66 minutes, which is not nothing, but if you extrapolate that over a typical 90-minute game... He is several touches short of where he tends to be at club level. If you go through and do the math and average it out and all that jazz, he's not getting the ball as much for country as he is for club. And when Falorn Balligan is your highest impact attacker, that is a problem. And Greg Baralter knows it's a problem. I think the players know it's a problem too. I will be shocked if that's not something that was discussed at relative length in the post-game film session that happened ahead of this game against Ghana. That'll be tonight. You know, when they're going back and looking at the Germany tape, Yunus Musa, Serginho Dest, maybe Tim Weah, other USMNT players had opportunities to play Balogun in behind to both boost his touch count and really to get him into higher danger areas. It's not just about touches. It's about where they're finding Balogun and how they're using his movement. Against Germany, Balogun was faster than at least two-thirds of Germany's central defensive unit. He had opportunities to go and find space in transition and he was making the right runs. He throws out a hand, NFL wide receiver style. He's ready for the ball to come his way. And for the USMNT, it's just not finding him right now. Those combinations have the potential to be a huge leveler for the United States, whether that's in transition, whether that's a clever through ball from Gio Reyna or from Weston McKenney or Polisic in possession higher up the field, activating Balogun more. I believe activating is the word that Greg Baralter used in a press conference earlier this week is something that is going to be key for the U.S. moving forward. And we saw a little bit of that need for it against Germany. Now, let's move to another takeaway. This one is all about the central midfield. The U.S. rollout Yunus Musa as generally the deepest midfielder. Weston McKennie a little bit higher, but sometimes level or or even dropping a bit lower than Yunus Musa. And then Gio Reyna higher up the field in the first 45 minutes. Greg Baralter said that they were starting out in a 4-4-2 defensive shape. Eventually that was moved and they shifted Gio Reyna back and some of those shifts were intentional even with that asymmetry that a lot of folks noticed in the broadcast early on in that match. That was the personnel in central areas for the United States. And let's be honest, they didn't knock it out of the park. Now, we don't know how surprising that is against a Germany team that is one of the absolute best teams in the world right now, a team that has more talent than the United States. The U.S. certainly appeared to miss Tyler Adams, but even more than missing Tyler Adams, and Greg Baralter talked about this earlier this week in a press conference, a lot of the shape stuff for the U.S. was off. Their ability to to fall back into a defensive shape has generally been a big positive under Greg Baralter. It was not that against Germany. Yunus Musa wasn't always getting back into his spot. Weston McKinney and Gio Reyna weren't always connected. In the second half, Luca De La Torre and Johnny Cardoso, when they came into that space, 
They weren't always connected to each other and to the rest of, of sort of that block that you want to see to constrict as much space as possible. That was a problem for the U.S. And when the structure was more ragtag than actual structured, players like Yunus Musa playing as really the number six in the biggest game that he's ever played as a number six in his entire career. And Musa, I don't think, had a good game regardless of some of the team issues here. There should be some, some blame, really, even in a, a relatively low-stakes game like this friendly against Germany. There should be some blame and certainly some introspection that goes on from, from him and the rest of this midfield unit to figure out, okay, can this be something we go to when Tyler Adams is unavailable? Because the most obvious plug-and-play solution to some of the defensive issues, the lapses, the ball-watching, the lack of shape, the lack of structure, the lack of individual attentiveness... The most obvious solution to that is just plug Tyler Adams right back into this thing. But the problem with that is you're not always going to have Tyler Adams, right? Without Tyler Adams, this is why we saw this midfield in the first place. In a perfect world, I think these players will figure out their rotations. They'll figure out, okay, reading each other's tendencies, how do we get back into shape? When Musa goes, McKenney has to drop. All of those kinds of things, it's not impossible for this group to figure those things out. But early on in this match, certainly, and you could even see that progress into the second half, they struggle to get back into shape, to protect zone 14, and really to get in Germany's grill when they were positioned high up the field. Finally, one last thing that really stood out to me in this game, the difference in depth between the United States and one of the world's elite. Really, that's an obvious thing to see the gap between the United States' bench unit and a team like Germany's, but it always sort of hits you over the head when you actually go and watch the players subbing in Germany bringing on Kai Havertz and the U.S. bringing on Brendan Aronson. That's not a slight to Brendan Aronson, but there's an obvious difference in pedigree and ability between these two teams, especially when you look at the depth options that Julian Nagelsmann has to go to relative to the ones that Greg Berhalter has to go to. The most obvious area for me where I saw this drop-off was going from Gio Reyna to Luca De La Torre. Now, the U.S., this has been talked about already, was very dangerous in moments in the first half. They created chances. They weren't always getting the, the final shot to cap off a move, but they were getting the ball into very, very dangerous areas and causing Germany problems. There's a reason why the first half felt much more even in the grand scheme of this game. But Giorena comes off and Luca De La Torre comes on, a pre-planned minutes restriction thing for Giorena. And, and the U.S.'s danger levels dropped off a cliff in the second half. They created virtually nothing outside of maybe a half chance for Ricardo Pepe when he comes on the field later in that second 45. The U.S. just were not dangerous. And I think Giorena leaving the field is a big part of that. Again, there's some other structural things and a lack of shape, and the game was maybe too open in moments that you don't want it to be too open. You can fold all of those things in here, but the difference between Giorena and basically anybody else outside of Musa, McKenney, and Adams in terms of pure talent is a massive drop-off. Going to Brendan Aronson on the wing, I think, is a pretty sizable drop-off. The U.S. is still trying to find those players, and I've talked about this before. I'll talk about it again briefly to close out this episode. There are two main goals that Greg Berhalter has between now and 2026, in my mind. The first of those goals, and the more important one, is to get the U.S.'s top players functioning at a high level, higher than where they were in 2022 for that World Cup. It's to activate for Lauren Balogun. It's to get Yunus Musa playing at his best in midfield. It's to find Christian Pulisic's pure role in this team. It's to do all of those things and to get them gelling together as a unit so that that 11 can at least compete with the best in the world. If that's the first goal and the primary goal, the secondary goal is still an important one, and we saw that in this game against Germany, it's elevate the depth. Either hoping that those depth players improve on their own, hoping that Luca De La Torre finds another level, hoping that Kevin Paredes can be something, either at left back or on the left wing, hoping that these players can evolve their own skill sets, but also going and finding more players, going and going to a guy like Taylor Booth, 
who's with the US U23s right now, finding a couple more key dual nationals that are not yet committed. Luca Coliosho could be a massive addition in that respect. You can go through the list. The US need to find, need to identify and develop more depth so that the gap between their first choice players and the bench guys is not as wide as we saw in certain parts of the field against Germany. That is it for this episode of the Backheeled Show. If you enjoyed, go check out backheel.com and subscribe for tons more United States men's national team content. We've got plenty more American soccer content over there as well. For now, though, we'll talk to you again real soon.